All right, so uh, I wrote this sermon uh, maybe 10 minutes ago. Uh, it's right here. Um, I was really curious what was going to happen Friday night. I was really curious what would happen as we gathered here. And then I was really curious what would happen this morning. Uh, and so I had some loose ideas and I thought, I'll get up early, and I'll, I'll finalize everything. And, and Sonia was so gracious. Sonia's not been feeling well, but look, here she is in the flesh, beautiful as always. And uh, yeah. And she very gently turned to me and said, Stephen, it's 8 o'clock. And I shot out of bed, didn't I? I don't think I've ever gotten out of bed that fast. Because I had to meet Rich here at 8.30, so I got ready, showered, got here. I kind of had some ideas, but I was like, oh, what are those passage references? So just a moment ago, I wrote them down. We're good. It's all good. But let me just say this to start. The Lord is good. Amen? Can I get in all the time? <laughs> and I'll tell you this, His love endures forever. You know, and... Our family was on vacation the last couple of weeks, as you guys may know. Uh, this is the first time that I preached here from Tennessee. That was kind of fun, from a cabin in Tennessee. And then my good friend Andy, who actually last night we were right here for his virtual ordination. So I got to pray and lay hands on him last night as he got ordained. Um, uh, he, he was here last week, and uh, he, I, I listened to his message while we were driving back home um, and was just really encouraged because he said, hey, you know, it's all about just being with Jesus. More than anything else, it's about being with Jesus. And it really helped me frame for myself Friday night what that needed to be. It was not, this is not about, um, and, and even what we're doing this morning, it's not about, hey, guys, we need to try harder. It's not, hey, you know, shame on whoever, get in line. No. It really is about, if Jesus is first then all this other stuff will fall into place. This is going to drive me nuts. Let's try this. If, all, if, if Jesus is first, all the other stuff will fall into place. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's hard. This is hard for me as a pastor, I'm going to tell you. And I think it's hard for a lot of us. Um, sometimes we don't realize that Jesus isn't first until we notice the things that aren't happening. Does that make sense? See, you know, like you're coming to church. Maybe you're praying a couple of times a week. Maybe you read your Bible here and there. Um, you're trying to be a nice person. And you think, hey, I'm good. We're good. What's the problem? And I think that's what God's people felt like in Nehemiah's day. You know, here's the people in Jerusalem. They have, they've been, in so many ways, beaten down. And they kind of think, Lord, what else do you want from us? What else could you possibly want from us? Look at our state. Look at our situation. And there might be some of you this morning who, when Mary was sharing, or when I was sharing, you think, God, have you seen my financial situation? What more do you want from me? Or there may be people here, or maybe people at home, or maybe some who aren't here today because maybe they're working today. And they like, you want us to be at church all the time. What more do you want from us? Don't you see I'm exhausted? Um, you know, I think there are times when our relationships are in such awful places. 
And God wants us to come and be present and to love and to be joyful, not in a fake way, not putting on the plastic mask, but to have genuine joy in His presence. And you say, Lord, have you seen this situation I'm in? What more do you want from me? And the hard answer is God says, what more do I want from you? I want everything. I want everything. But here's the deal. When you give me everything, all that other stuff is going to work out. And I have been, I, I shared this a little bit, but I've been afraid to, to say things like that to you. I've been afraid because that's a hard message, isn't it? Now, I do it here and there, right? I think we've heard, it's not new, I don't think, but maybe this pointedly, maybe it is. But God is saying, I want everything. Like, what, what would you hold back from me? And you might say again, Lord, I've been hurt by the church, don't you see? I've been hurt by, by giving too much. And God says something like this. I'm not asking you to work yourself to the bone. I'm asking you literally to just give yourself over to me. And you will find that the burden is easy. The yoke is easy. So here's another little test. If you are running yourself ragged for the Lord, you have not given yourself to the Lord. Think about that for a second. If you are driving yourself mad serving the Lord, then you haven't given yourself to the Lord. You've given yourself to the service. If you give yourself to the Lord, the service will not be overwhelming because God says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I shared last night that there have been times when I have done this in my own strength, in my own wisdom, in part because I thought, hey, I'm actually a pretty amazing person. And you know what? We all are. We all are. And yet, uh, that, that doesn't bring glory to the Lord, in it, and it wears out the people who try to do it. And I've shared this before. Uh, you know, you've heard it said, I'm sure, in a sermon, you can't... You can't Serve the Lord in your own strength. Well, I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can. It just doesn't go so well. You can, but it, you don't want to. I'm learning that lesson still. I'll continue to learn it. We'll continue to learn it. When Roberto was here last Friday night, just the other night, uh, Roberto is my brother-in-law, Sonia's brother-in-law. He's the pastor of Line of Judah in, in Boston. Uh, that's... Um, that's where Sonia was when she first came here. That's where I went when I started in seminary here in New England. But he shared last night about Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, and it says this, Therefore, and the therefore is all of this uh, work of God and the, the grace of God and the sovereignty of God and the plans of God to restore and redeem his people and particularly Israel in this moment in the text but also just everybody. This whole, this whole book of Romans kind of culminates right here in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore, in light of everything that we've talked about, which too much to explain all of it, but I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of His mercy, not in view of God's wrath, not in view of God's hardness, not in view of God's un. Uh, unattainable standards, not in view of God's 
uh, um, uh, policed action. (laughs) But in view of God's mercy, because God is gracious, because he's good, because he loves you, because he's faithful, because he never leaves you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know, I wish we still had our table up here, but I've talked about this before. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, in the temple, there's this altar. So it's essentially um, uh, a, big, a big bowl, if you will, and it's covered in gold, and it's got these horns. And on the altar, they would lay the wood, and they light the wood on fire, and then on the wood, they would put the meat and you got to understand that, that the altar smells like a barbecue. You take the choice pieces. You take the fat. I love the fat. And you take, you take the best piece of meat and you put them on the fire. And the smoke goes up and it says that the, the smell of the burning uh, offering is like, uh, smells good to the Lord's nose. That he, he receives it by smelling it. And then to, to further clarify what it was like, then they would take the meat off, and that's what the priests got to eat and their families. Some they could only, the priests could eat, some their families could eat, depending on the type of offering. And so it really was like a barbecue. And I'm guessing that because the priests were the ones eating it, that they got really good at cooking it just to the right amount. It's not overcooked. It's nice and, I would say, red in the middle. Um, uh, and, and it's just like this delectable, wonderful, choice morsel. And of course, it's the best ram. It's the best bull. It's the best sheep. It's the best lamb. Right? You can't bring the bad stuff. You've got to bring the best stuff. God's like, you know, I'm not looking for the steak that they just happen to sell at, at the little market down the street. I want the Ruth's Chris, or I want the, you know, I want the choice steak that costs you know, $300 or whatever it is to get a really great steak. He's like, that's what I want. I want the best stuff. But what he's saying is, folks, now, no, no, more, of this, no more of this putting the cow on there. No more of this putting the, the lamb on there. Uh, I've got a special kind of altar now that you can get on. This altar, you... You get to get on, and, and the cool thing is, maybe not cool for you, you put yourself on it. And when you put yourself on it, the smell comes up, and I smell, and it's good, but here's the thing, you don't die. You're a living sacrifice. And what that means is that every morning when you get up, before you brush your teeth, before you... Uh, uh, splash your face with water before you get some orange juice. Just put yourself right back on that altar first. Put yourself right back on that, that uh, special place that shows that it, this is mine. Because that's what the altar is. This is mine. That's what the altar is. Whatever's on there is God's. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Another translation, which is very viable, very likely, uh, it's hard to tell which it is, but this is your spiritual act of worship. 
So uh, maybe there's a bit of a pun going on. Maybe Paul means both. It's true, it's proper, it's spiritual. But he says, this is your worship. And that is my phone. All right, thanks, Esther. Who would call me at 11.25 on Sunday morning? So, <laughs> Stephen, the Lord doesn't need to use the phone. So, so, I have no idea what I was about to say. What was I saying? What's that? We put ourselves on the altar. Uh, before you brush your teeth, before you get some orange juice, you put yourself up on that altar. Ah, and here's what I was going to say, your spiritual act of worship. This that we did this morning, I'm just going to break this to you. This isn't worship if you're not on the altar today. You understand? We sang if we're not on the altar. In the Old Testament, worship always means sacrifice. Sacrifice of an animal, sacrifice of finances, some kind of sacrifice, that's worship. And when you read the, Old, the New Testament, when worship comes up, very often Paul or Peter or James, they use this sacrificial language to talk about worship. We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, right? And Paul talks about how his ministry, that he is being poured out like a drink offering, that he is expending himself, sacrificing himself for the sake of the gospel. And so what we have here in this one verse, which is just one sentence, because of God's goodness, because of his plans, because of his intentions, because of his faithfulness, because of his grace, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I had to sum up, you know, Friday night we said, what are our communal sins? If I had to sum up what they are, it would be this. Where we have fallen short is where we have been conformed to the world. Paul shared, hey, we, I and we, it was personal, but it was communal, have not been joyful and bold in sharing the gospel. Cindy shared, I and we, because it was all of us, haven't put Jesus first, haven't with my time. Josh shared a similar thing. I treated my time like it was my own instead of the Lord's, and I picked and choose what I wanted to do for God instead of letting God choose for me. Um, we talked a little bit about, um, uh, you know, our giving. We have not been giving the way God has invited us. I say invited, but whenever God commands, it's also an invitation. Every one of, uh, this is an aside, every one of God's commands is for your good. Every single one. There's not a single command that God has that will result in ill for you. It may be hard. It may be challenging. You may face opposition in it. But the end result for you will be good because God's commands are a gift and a blessing. So we have not given the way God has invited us to give. Um, if I were to, to kind of just 
be a little frank. Uh, there's been complacency here. There's been a lot of complacency here over the years, and even still, it's there. Um, I shared that I did things that you guys should have done, so that's a sin that I have as a leader. But then also, hey, you let me. You let me. Things you should have done. And that's part of the community's role to say, no, this is for us, not for you. We partner in these things, right? Um, that's a type of complacency. All those are types of complacency. They're all types of, of thinking the way the world thinks instead of thinking the way the Lord thinks. You know, the way the Lord thinks is, and the way He wants us to think like Him is, when you're faithful, then you face hard things, but those hard things cause you to grow, and then you have spiritual blessing. God's thinking is, when you sacrifice, sacrifice by definition creates a hardship, but that sacrifice results in me pouring out blessing in your life, so in the end, you end up ahead of where you started, right? You know, I think about, um, I think about the, the, the invitation to think about your giving. I'm not pointing to you guys. There's a box behind you. I'm sorry. <laughs> an invitation to think about your giving. You know, Paul in another book, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, and, and I want you to think about this in terms of your financial giving, but I want you to think about this in terms of your life. Because for Paul, they're not separated. For the Holy Spirit, they're not separated. Your financial giving is just a picture of what's going on in your heart. That's all it is. So why do we make a big deal out of it? One, the ministry does require finances, but more importantly... Your giving is an indication of your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, right? He says this, Remember, whoever sows sparingly... I'm sorry, this is 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This is just a general principle of life. Who's planted a garden? You put a few seeds in the ground, you get a few plants. You put a lot of seeds in the ground, you get a lot of plants. It's just that straightforward. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, again, he's, he's saying the same thing I said. It's not about trying harder. It's not about meeting my expectations or someone else's expectations. It's about going before the Lord and saying, Lord, joyfully, uh, Lord, what do you want me to give? Where, where is the place of appropriate giving that leads to your blessing. I'm not one of those people that thinks you should give your last dime to the church, okay? But I am one of those people who thinks that when God says, if you sow generously, you reap generously, that he means it. So, not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. Giver. For God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, hear this, all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Notice where the emphasis is. If you sow generously, and he is talking about money right here, but it's bigger than that. If you sow generously with your time, if you sow generously with your talent, 
if you sow so generously with your presence, if you sow generously with your burden-bearing of others, if you sow generously in your compassion, if you sow generously in your faith, if you sow generously with your prayers, then you will reap generously. And even though Paul's talking about money, he says the result is that you will abound in every good work. We nail these sins up to the cross because we believe that there's things that we need to put aside and then we wrote our commitments because there's things that we need to take on, right? Sometimes we're not able to set aside and we're not able to take on because we haven't yet been willing to sacrifice. We haven't yet been willing to put our things our time, our possessions, ourselves on the altar. And the only way you can put those things on the altar is by the grace of God. Okay? It's the only way. It's not trying harder, right? Trying harder would be trying to stop doing these things and start doing those things. What I'm actually asking you to do is to stop trying so hard I'm saying what the Lord is inviting you to do is actually to release, not to strive. And when you put yourself on that altar, then you can literally ask the Lord, today, what do you want me to do? And you only need to do what He wants you to do. Today, what do you want me to give? And you just give what He wants you to give. Lord, today, what is it that I have that you want to use for your service? And you use those things for His service. And it's much simpler, it's much easier, and it's much more joyful. Because when you give the things that God wants you to give, then you receive the blessings that God wants to give you. And you abound in good works. It's, it's just the law of the universe. God built it in. It's the way he made it. He says, now he, meaning God, he who supplies the seed for the sower. So even when you sow the seed, you didn't make the seed, right? You know, how many of you actually make money? Does anyone here make money? I think you can create value, right? I'm one of those people, I believe there is an unlimited supply of resources because you can actually create value because... That's how God seems to have made it. That's why people like Doug will start a business. He thinks he can create something that will be worth something to someone else. He's not, he's not trying to take someone else's. He's saying, I'm going to make something new. And then abundance will come from it. We pray, and I believe it will. We really do. It's the same with our lives. If we take what God created, we didn't create it, but we take that, then we, through that sowing, we actually can create new value. Every plant's a little different, but, you know, some seeds you plant in the ground and you get 60 new seeds when it grows. So you literally, if you had the time, you could start with one seed and you could create a, a field of surplus and abundance by just taking that seed, letting it grow, and then planting the new seeds and letting them grow, and then plant those new seeds. And before you know it, you've got hundreds of thousands of seeds in a few generations. 
of the seed. You know, that's how God is. He says there are people who take, take what God has given them and they get a 30, 50, and 100% return. But you don't do that by working hard. You really don't. And, and let me be clear, clear what I, clarify what I mean. You don't do that by striving. You don't. You do that by letting go. And then God will invite you to the work that you need to do. And then you do that. You do it diligently. So you will be tired sometimes. But it will be a good kind of tired. Mary asked me, she said, how did you feel after Friday night? Where you, you must have been tired. I said, yeah, I was tired. She said, but it was a good tired, right? I said, yeah, it was. It was a good tired. It was a clean tired. Um, I, I still like to believe that I'm something of a runner, even though I can't, I'm not what I was. David knows. Um, there's a difference between the tired of running for me and the tired of slogging through a workday. When I finish a run, I feel so good in my tiredness. So good. When I'm working in my own strength and not out of joy, because I'm running out of joy for me. Not everyone does. I get that. I run out of joy. But you know, when, when I'm going through my day not out of joy, and it's out of obligation and duty, I come home, like, you know, exhausted and tired, and, and Sonia's like, maybe I shouldn't talk to him today because that's not pretty, and what's going to come out of that's not pretty. But when, when you come from doing the Lord's work that day because the Lord directed you to it, and you do it in His strength, and you do it in His joy, you come home, Whoever meets you is going to be like, ah, that's someone I want to spend time with. You see? So I'm rambling a bit because, again, I wrote this 10 minutes before I started. But the point is this. The Lord is inviting each of us, and he's inviting, and this is different, and he's inviting all of us. So those are two different things, each of us and all of us, to live a different way of life to live and think the way God lives and thinks. God does not have a, a um, what is the phrase I'm looking for? A, a, um, the mentality where there's not enough. What is that called? Scarcity mentality. God has an abundance mentality. God doesn't have a scarcity mentality. He has an abundance mentality. Yes? Okay, sure. God doesn't believe that the commandments are restrictive. He believes that the commandments are expansive, meaning that God doesn't give commands to hold you back. He gives you the commands to set you free. So whatever command that you hear from the Lord as a burden and as, a, as chafing and as restrictive, I'm just going to throw this out there. You don't get the command. And so you can do two things when you don't get the command. The first one is you can say, Lord, I don't get the command because this feels like a burden. Help me understand. And then whether you do understand or not, you can do the second thing. Lord, I'm going to obey the command and I'm going to let experience tell me whether it really is a burden or whether it will set me free. And it will set you free. But you can't do it like this. Okay, I love running. I hate stretching. 
If I go down and I say, I hate stretching, it's going to be horrible. But if I say, you know what, stretching's good for me, then it's actually not so bad. So you go to the command and you say, Lord, I know it's good for me because I trust you. I don't know how it's good for me, but I'm going to do it knowing that it's good for me. And then what happens is you sow generously. Or you go to something like, uh, again, finances. Lord, I'm scared. God says, all right, you're scared. You have two options in your fear. You can give into it or you can overcome it, right? Those are the two options. So you give into it and you stay where you are. You don't experience the growth because you sow sparingly and you reap sparingly. Or you say, God, in spite of my fear, I'm going to sow generously. And then you reap generously. And what happens when you reap generously? Imagine, it's hard to imagine, but you know, there was a time when people did not know how to plant crops and farm. Amen. Bless you. But there was a point where people started realizing they could take these seeds and actually cultivate them intentionally by planting them. So for the first time, someone took something that was food for them that they needed, and instead of eating it, they stuck it underground. That must have been kind of scary. Or imagine you're a farmer, and you have a very low uh, production one year because there's a drought, and you don't have enough food for your family, but you know you have to stick some of it in the ground or it's going to be even worse next year. So the person who's too afraid and eats it instead of burying it will be impoverished. The person who is brave and puts it in the ground instead of eating it will have prosperity. And when you have that prosperity, the next time there's a drought, you'll remember and you won't be as afraid. The only way to grow in trust is to test. It's the only way. You can be brave in your fear, but your fear won't go away until you see God show up and show up and show up and show up. And you'll still sometimes be afraid, but you are brave again, and he shows up again. And before you know it, you realize, and you talk to some of our, our well-established saints in the room, and you realize that they are not as afraid as you are because they've seen God's faithfulness so many times, they would literally be foolish to not believe him now. In 2 Corinthians 7, and this is where I'll end, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Uh, he wrote another letter to the Corinthians that we don't have, which is the 2 Corinthian letter. And then he wrote 2 Corinthians, which is the 3 Corinthian letter. It's all very clear. But Paul wrote a letter that we don't ha have. And in that letter, apparently he was pretty harsh. He said things like, hey, complacency. Hey, fear. Hey, not sharing the gospel. Hey, not putting Jesus first. Hey, letting leaders do what you should have done. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 7, where he's reflecting back on that letter. He said, If I caused you sorrow, if I caused you sorrow, I do not regret it. I did regret it. I see that it hurt you but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, 
but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Now he's talking in hindsight. We have to have the eyes of foresight. I feel a boldness to be direct with you. I believe that some of that directness may cause sorrow. But I'm trusting the Lord that I will not regret that sorrow. Because it will produce in us, and, and by the way, let me rephrase that. Uh, not just your sorrow, my own too. I'm in the camp. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp. This is not, I'm not up there because I'm separate. You understand? Like this is us together. I believe this sorrow is worth it because I believe that this sorrow can help lead us to repentance. This sorrow can help us to come to a place where we have earnestness in our faith and in our life together as the body of Christ. I believe that sorrow can lead us to a place where we are indignant about the things that are not of the Lord, that we get a little alarmed, because we need to be a little alarmed. There are literally people who will die today who do not know Christ, and they haven't even had the opportunity to reject Him, because no one's told them. And this is not a guilt trip. This is like, there's an appropriate alarm. There's an appropriate sorrow. There's this thing, this godly sorrow, Paul calls it. It's a godly shame. Shame is not always bad. Sometimes we should be ashamed. Sometimes we should feel sorrow. But this godly sorrow leads to life. If we won't let the sorrow in, if we say, no, here's another area, Lord. I can't take that sorrow. I can't take that, that heaviness. So I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. Or I'm going to get angry at whoever says something to me about it, whether it's me or someone else. I'm going to deflect. I'm going to blame someone else for the reason someone else is responsible for my disobedience. If you don't own that sorrow, you will not repent. That's death. But if you receive it and it leads to repentance, that's life. And so church, today, I present to you death and I present to you life. Do not be afraid. Trust the Lord. And as Andy taught us, because He will be with you. I think Andy used that passage from Joshua, didn't he? You know, or from the end of Deuteronomy, it's the same thing twice. He says, as you enter the land, do not be afraid, right? Because I will go with you. God will go with you in this. He says, choose this day, death or life. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we choose life. As for me and my house, we choose faith. As for me and my house, we choose trust. As for me and my house, we choose obedience. As for me and my house, we choose to put Jesus first, and wherever he walks, we will follow. Because it really all boils down to that. Jesus is going somewhere, and we're either going with him or we're not. So, hard message. It's a hard message for me. It's a hard message for you. I know it is, because it's a hard message for anyone. Because this is the biggest challenge. This is the biggest hurdle. This is the biggest roadblock that believers experience in their life with the Lord is that they have not yet been able to abandon themselves to Christ. Abandon themselves to Christ. Whatever it is you're seeking in life, and I mean that, whatever it is, the truest and best form of it will be found when you seek Christ first. And only the fake substitute will be found when you don't. Oh, we match. Um, I'm going to try to be brief. And what I'm going to share is um, I'm kind of weaving together pieces of conversations that I had with God. And, and just as a set aside, I listen to God not because I'm special. I don't have conversations with God because I'm special. I do that because I'm a child of God. So that's available to every single one of us. And because uh, you listen. Right. So the coaching with God, the counseling sessions with God, that's available to everyone. It's not, not particular to me. Um, <coughs> I don't know, maybe like three years ago, we were in an Andrew Peterson concert. And if you know a little bit about us, you know that we love his songs. We were worshiping our hearts out. And suddenly, and this was a, a, an Advent Christmas concert, right? And suddenly I hear, I see, a, I see an image of the cross. And Jesus was not on the cross. Jesus was standing beside the cross. And he was telling me, Sonia, I have, I have something better for you. I have the way of the cross. And I started weeping, partly because I was scared. Like, the way of the cross, that sounds painful. That sounds like dying. But also because the way he said it, I knew that it was an invitation to something better. And he said that. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to something better than what you have known now. The, the dying, the way of the cross, is something better. And I realized that I have, I have been in a process of growing, uh, pretty concentrated process of growing after feeling stuck for quite a few years. But I hadn't yet come to that place where I was saying, okay, I'll say yes to the cross. So now Jesus is saying, okay, I'm graduating you now to the cross. There's something better. <coughs> Excuse me. And I sat there feeling scared, but feeling honored, privileged, that for some reason he had counted me worthy of coming to the cross and dying with him. And what he was saying to me is, 
It is better because you die to yourself, but you rise with me. It is better because there you, you live your sin and your pettiness and your unforgiveness and your hurt. You leave it all there, your, your, your desire to, to get credit for yourself, your own glory. You leave it all there, and you trade it for something so much better, which is me and my glory and my joy and my way of seeing and my way of loving people and suffering well. Because in the end, right, our destiny, our destiny is not to, to, uh, to make it on our own. Our destiny already is Jesus. So I can die to myself and be more like Jesus every day, and that is a better way. And of course, I realize how much I resist that, and I see it all around us. We resist it. We don't want to go to the cross. It feels like it's going to hurt too much. The other day, I was, all these vignettes connect, so bear with me if you don't see the connection at first. Um, I was listening on Thursday and praying for, for our night Friday, and <clears throat> uh, Holy Spirit said, Sonia, you have idolatrous hearts. It's like, ooh, ugly word. We have idolatrous hearts, but we know you, Jesus. Yes, but you have idolatrous hearts. You prefer your careers, and you prefer self-promotion, and you prefer your, your finances, and you prefer your jobs, and your relationships, and your hobbies, and your entertainment. You prefer that to me. And of course, he's right. We often prefer that. And he has a better way. He has an invitation. He wasn't saying that to condemn me or to condemn us, but to say, I have something better. I have something better. And now I'm going to go back a little bit. About three years ago, so this was before we went in, on sabbatical, a group of us were listening to, to the Holy Spirit about the journey ahead. Um, and that did mark a, a different going forward from that point on. We started concentrating more on, on growth and maturity, listening to Jesus. And uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit said this, I want you to jump on puddles. I want you to experiment to use your creativity, to use your gifts, to, to not be afraid to fail, to try things for me, and to experiment. And that's the way of joy. So the way of the cross leads ultimately every single time to joy. You may not be able to see it from the, from the, from the onset, but that's always where it leads to joy. Imagine that, like if you, if you think of a little kid jumping on puddles, right? Like just like with abandon, there's a beautiful puddle there and kids, a lot of kids have a hard time resisting puddles, you know? So imagine that, a little kid with abandon jumping on puddles, forgetting themselves. God wants you, God wants me to forget ourselves, to forget your dignity and your priorities, your personal priorities, and to, to dream his dreams, which are always better, I tell you, to 
to explore, to forget that you might fail, or, or not forget it, but do it anyway. Just go ahead and jump in puddles and see what happens. See what it feels. Serve God like that. Serve God with abandon, with playfulness, because God is a playful God who wants to, who wants to relate to you playfully and with joy. That is God. So all of these things are tied together the way of the cross that, that, that leads to a dying to yourself ultimately leads to that place where you are like a kid jumping on puddles. And don't, don't you ultimately want to be like that with your God, with your master, with your creator, the one who knows you? Don't you want to be that kid just <laughs> with abandon saying, yes, God, Yes, I love this puddle. <laughs> and try things new. And bless your brother and your sister, even if you're afraid that you might get hurt. And stand in front of the church and use your prophetic gift if you have one. And serve in hospitality. And make beautiful displays for the church. And speak to your neighbors about Jesus. <coughs> and forgive. Let go of unforgiveness. Let go of unforgiveness. Let go of your hurts of the past. You don't, need to be, you don't need to be attached to that because God has a better way. So if you go to the cross and you turn all of that in, your desire for self-promotion, your aches, your unforgiveness for things that are real, things that hurt, things that shouldn't have happened to you, but you go to the cross and you lay it there, you say, okay, Jesus, I don't need to hold on to this. I don't need to hold on to, to my failure or to my self-condemnation that I didn't do it the right way. I don't need to hold on to that. I don't need to hold on to, to this hurt because you can heal it. I don't need to hold on to anxiety because you can give me rest and peace instead of anxiety. I don't need to hold on to my pride because instead you can give me your glory. You will shine through me if I'm not so intent on shining myself. And I don't even need to hold on to my plans and my dreams and my aspirations because you, Lord Jesus, you give me better ones for the kingdom and in the kingdom. And that is always a better way. So when you go to the cross and when you remember the cross, it's not, it's not just your sin that you lay there, but you also go there to die and to turn in all of that for joy. Okay. Just pray for us, or would you like to? You do that. Oh, one thing before you do. When she's done praying, we're going to sing, but listen, it's not too late to put yourself on the altar today. It's not like the only way to do it. But the cross is still here. The faithfulness of God and our willingness to step in to a new place of trust, obedience, and joy is still there. So I encourage you, after she prays and as we sing, if you still need to put yourself on that altar this morning, and those financial cards are still there, then just stand up and go and put them where they go. Put them in their respective places.
as a statement to this community and to the Lord that your worship here, that this music is worship because your life is on that altar. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's a beautiful good. sound. <laughs> um, as I pray, if you would just uh, either pray your own prayer of receiving from God and of giving to God whatever you need to do, or just agree with me. But don't just sit there. Holy Spirit, we need you. Father, we need you. Jesus Christ, we need you. You are Lord of Lords and you're a King of Kings. And we need to walk with you and we need your favor, Lord. We need your favor. We ask for it, Lord. We ask for it as children who are made out of dust, as children who are precious to you, as people who have failed, as, as people who have done great things also. And Father, we come to you knowing that you have, you have a hope and a plan for every single one of us. That you're not done with any one of us yet. Lord, I pray that you will give us courage once again. Father, those of us who are in need of courage, give us more of it, Lord. Those who have found themselves to be courageous, Lord, I pray that they will be lifting other people's arms Father, making, making uh, feeble knees strong. Father, help those of us who are mature, Lord, to take the call and to walk with others, to grow them into maturity as well. Father, while we will be a congregation that we are not, no longer in need of drinking milk, but that we are now moving on to the solids, to the meat, and to the yummy veggies and all the things that, that are nutritious to our spiritual life. Father, I pray that when we go outside and when we look, at, look into people's eyes, we will see, we will see that they're your creatures, Lord. People that you're calling into the kingdom, but they need to hear about you, about your goodness and about your love. I pray, Father, that we will be living sacrifices, that we will bear your light that we will not walk in our own light, but that we will sparkle with your light, Lord Jesus. That this church will be a light on a hill, not put under, under cover, but that we will shine, Lord, as a beacon, guiding people to you. Lord, we pray for your way, for a better way. We pray that you will remove obstacles that we have placed and that other has placed and that the enemy has placed in the way. So, Lord, we pray now. And I ask you, uh, church, ask God to, to show you now and to keep showing you the obstacles, obstacles that you have placed before him, the obstacle of your own sin, the obstacle of your hurt, of unforgiveness, and that you can name it. And if you know what it is, even now, just name it quietly to yourself. And ask God to remove it in his mercy. So Lord, in your mercy, remove the obstacle of my own belief. Remove the obstacle of my small faith. My small mindedness, Lord. Father, I and, I and this church, Lord, 
we wanna we wanna dream your dreams, the crazy things, the crazy things that we cannot even conceive in our own mind, the better, bigger, more glorious things, Lord. Father, that this congregation will not just endure, but that it will be a gem in your crown. Father, that we will not be lukewarm, but that we will be all in for you, Lord Jesus. All in for you. And Father, I pray that you will be, even now, removing anything that we're telling ourselves. Maybe even now you're telling yourselves, but I can't. But I have seen too much. Or I'm still stuck in this place. Or I'm just too weak. Or I'm too sick. Or whatever. Father, I pray even now that you will give a different vision. Give a different vision to every heart, to every mind and every body. A vision for, for what you can do, which is always better than what, whatever we can dream of, Lord. Father, hearts that are even now are remaining complacent. Hearts that even now are distracted by other things. I pray, Lord, in your mercy and in your love, turn them to you. Father, that we will be a strong people of God in you, even as we're weak and foolish and little. Father, I pray that you will do all this in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that that we will see breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough a people full of maturity people who are mature a people who are serving out of the joy of their hearts a people that will not waver anymore a people that will put you first that, that, that they'll be delighted in spending time with you it's not something to check off but it's the better part the best part of the day And that everyone here, Lord, will be dedicated, devoted, devoted to you and devoted to one another and devoted to your mission. So, Lord, we say that we're missionaries. Are we missionaries here? Yes, we're missionaries. We're missionaries. So, Lord, our mission is to bring, is to, is that everybody will know your name will have heard the gospel that everybody will be rescued that everybody will know your love your deep and abiding love and your joy lord that everyone will be restored everyone that you have chosen everybody that you have called by name will be restored lord so father that we will experience in this church our own restoration the restoration of broken broken families of broken relationships lord The restoration of, of, of uh, from addiction to a life that we can leave addiction behind. Lord, all of that. Pray that you will seal what you're doing. In, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will seal whatever you're doing in the hearts right now. That you will seal it. And this will not be just a moment and not an emotion. But it will be something that will have remaining power in your name, Lord. And I'm eager, Lord. I'm eager to see what you're going to do. I pray this in your name. Amen.